It's Wednesday, August 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger, and from Fool.com, Matt Coppenheffer. Yesterday, an all-David show. Today, an all-Matt show. All right. Wouldn't you know it? Except for me, of course. Uh, we'll talk earnings. We've got uh, we've got some Disney. We've got some housing-related earnings. And we've got Bank of America having a heck of a Tuesday, or I should say the attorneys for Bank of America are having uh, a, a, a heck of a Wednesday, I should say. Um, let's start with the earnings, though. Uh, Walt Disney shares down a little bit this morning. Um, second quarter profit came in a little bit better than expected. Revenue, they missed a little bit on the revenue, didn't they? They did. And we can blame all of this on the Lone Ranger, can't we? <laughs> it's, it's all about the Lone Ranger. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Hold your horses, because I mean, I think this was still a pretty good quarter. You know, we saw this. This is exactly what happened last year when, we, when they had John Carter come out. Yes. Had to take a, somewhere in the $150 to $200 million write-down, which they're going to have to do with Lone Ranger. At the same time, you know, it, what Disney shows every quarter and every year is just that they have such so many business lines and so many great business lines. I mean, the cable network's revenue business is up. Revenue there was up 8%. Uh, revenue at the parks and resorts business, which had been kind of a laggard for a lot of years, that was up 7%. So, sure, the movie studio business fell 2%. Lone Ranger is a big reason for that. But also Iron Man 3, which you know happens to be a top five Disney movie of all time. It didn't do well as Avengers last year, which is Disney's number one movie of all time. Uh, you know, so, by all accounts, Disney's doing well. And uh, you, know, you, you, kinda, you follow and invest in Disney not because you think they're going to hit home runs every quarter on the movie front. Because they won't. They're going to have their flops, like the Lone Ranger. But that they do so many things well, and they have such a great brand, and so many, so many ways to monetize all the assets they have. So. We, we've talked numerous times this calendar year about Boeing and the trouble they have with the 787 Dreamliner. And the phrase that leaps to mind is headline risk. You know, It's one of these things that if you look at the effect on Boeing's business, it really doesn't have a big negative effect on the business. It's just the headline risk. I feel like this is the same thing with Disney, with the Lone Ranger, which is poised to lose, at a minimum, $150 million. Right. You look at studio revenue, accounts for about 7-8% of overall revenue for Walt Disney. So it's not, it's not bad. But again, the headline risk, I feel like if I, if I were Bob Iger, the fantastic CEO at Disney, I would at some point just say, look, I don't want this anymore. I just don't, I just don't care about this anymore. I just don't <laughs> want the headline risk. Just don't lose three-digit millions of dollars on a movie. Is that fair, Matt? I think it's fair to some extent, but I, you know, the, the smart investors are going to look at it over the big picture and see whether the, the, the economics over multiple years make sense. And you're right. It is all headline risk. And my suggestion would be I'm looking at the stock right, da- right, right now. It's down about 2.5%. Everybody should keep selling the stock because I would love to buy <laughs> Disney's stock even cheaper than it is right now. I was talking to, to Matt before the show uh, asking, you know, is this a – is whether this is a good time to buy Disney. And he was kind of saying, and, and I agree with this, that it, you know if you're looking for 7 to 8% returns over the course of many years, this is a great place to buy it. I think that's reasonable. But like I said, I'd love to see it lower. And so if, if, if a couple bad movies can do that, yeah. I mean, this <laughs> is root for flops. Just the, root, you know. Yeah, the, there, are, there are so many great properties, so many great, um, so, so many great things under the Disney umbrella. Uh, ESPN, obviously one of them. The parks that have, that have sort of come back pretty strong after the, uh, after the crisis. Uh, I th- just think this is a great stock to own over. Yeah, I, I agree. And 
I think with Disney, what you have to watch out for is, you know, they're a content-driven business. And especially on the on the network side, you know, ABC, ESPN, you have to start wondering, just especially on the sports side, how much they start, like, eventually have to start paying. They're already paying a tremendous amount to, right. you know, to air baseball games and, and the NFL. That that is the that's the risk you want to watch. I mean, because that is the biggest part of their business, um, and we know, especially in sports, content costs continue to escalate, and really seeing no end to that. Our colleague Rich Griefner uh, did a presentation uh, at the beginning of this year at one of our Motley Fool events, and it was about. He, I believe the company he was talking about was International Speedway, mm. uh, which owns NASCAR. Do right. I have that right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. But he, I remember, he had this slide in his presentation about. The what you just talked about, the escalating cost of sports programming. And if you're in that business, if you're the NFL, you love the fact. But what struck me was just how dramatic it was that this content is getting dramatically more expensive over time, which, again, if you're the NFL, if you're Major League Baseball, that's great. You're making all this money. But if you're in the business, if you're one of these networks where you have to pay for it, the price is, is not only only going up. It's going up at a much faster rate than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. Right. And, you know, I, I, we just don't know what's going to change. But something has to break at some point. At some, you know, at some point, Disney's not going to be able to pay billions of dollars to air Monday Night Football, you know, 14 times a year, whatever it is. So, but we'll see. For now, it's, it's something to watch. Freddie Mac's second quarter profit was $5 billion. It is the seventh straight profitable quarter for Freddie Mac. Uh, Matt, I'm curious what you thought of the quarter, but also the fact we had President Obama, I believe it was yesterday, giving a speech, essentially talking about Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and looking to wind them down, essentially, just get the government, if not completely out of the business, uh, certainly uh, it's a much smaller business. So Freddie Mac investors' heads are basically exploding this morning, (laughs) because on the one hand, you've got the headline that's $5 billion profit, and on the other hand, you've got uh, the president talking about wanting to wind them down. The, I mean, the profit is is pretty easy to explain. We've seen a big comeback in the housing market. We've seen particularly, I, I mean, the, the, the prices in the housing market have been on a on a rampage over the past couple of years, and a lot of that has been uh, supply constraints. A, a lot of the supply has been taken off the market, and so that's been helping to push up the prices. Uh, and you know, as the prices as the prices go up, as there's more activity in the market, you you get fewer uh, homeowners that are defaulting, and that's good for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and I mean anybody else who's in the mortgage insurance business, basically. Uh, on the other hand, you know, we we look ahead. What's what's the future going to look like? Obviously, there was something wrong with the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac model that we had to pump in almost $200 billion. That's kind of a lot of money, kind I mean, of. If, if you ask me. Mm. <laughs> Small bills. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we've, we've got a couple of bills uh, out there in Congress right now. The Corker-Warner is one I think uh, makes a lot of sense. Basically, uh, it, it, it takes the, the, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and winds them down. It keeps a government involvement as sort of an eventual backstop, yeah. but it puts private capital in between the housing market and the government, and so there are actually private uh, private insurers, private investors that are taking losses. Imagine that before the government does. Uh, and uh, President Obama didn't didn't specifically call out a plan or a model that he was looking for, but he he was talking about the idea that that he wanted to see Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac 
wound down. And for a while now, I've been talking about the fact that there's been speculation in both of those stocks, and I wouldn't go anywhere near them. And uh, that's doubly doubly today, despite the $5 billion profit. Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the ultimate thing here that's it's a bit scary is that, you know, and I, I might have this number wrong, but I, re- I think I read this morning that 87% of mortgages that were written over the past year were, were backstopped by Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, or the FHA. Um, man, that's a big chunk of the mortgage market. Yeah. And I just feel like no matter what happens, whether, you know, it's a, an Obama plan or Congress, you know, gets their way, these organizations are not going to be where they are now five years from now. And if there isn't a government sort of guarantee or backstop, what does that mean for the mortgage market? I mean, it's it's a little it's a little scary. So, are there public companies that you think fill the void if this bill gets passed and the president signs it? Who is going to step up and fill that void from the private sector? Sure, I, I think there will be capital that'll that'll step up in there, and because I mean, there's there's going to be profit that's going to that's uh, the opportunity to make profit. I was going to say if you if <laughs> it ain't you, a guarantee, right? If you price it correctly, there is potential profit to be made in there. I think private capital will go after that. I, I, th- I think that's a model that, that would work just fine. It doesn't remove the government altogether, and I think that's a big part of this. So, mm-hmm. you know, for anybody that, that wants to see the government completely out of the housing market, this isn't even close. Yeah. But it's a step in that direction. Yeah. Zillow's second quarter revenue was up nearly 70%. Uh, their quarterly loss narrowed. It seems like the kind of thing, Matt, where the trends, the numbers are going in the direction that you want them, but shares getting hit this morning. They're they're apparently not moving fast enough in those directions. I, I guess not. I mean, you know, the thing is, yeah, Zillow. I think it's last I checked was down seven or eight percent, which is that's a for one day. But keep in mind, I was looking at it for the past month. It's up about twenty eight percent. Yeah, and it, you know, it's it's been a monster winner. Um, this is one of those situations where I think the the at least the market is focusing on the bottom line, which is odd. And Matt and I were talking before the show. It's with, with companies like Zillow, you're not really caring too much about profits. But the reason profits were were down, um, you know, is they, they're increasing headcount. They uh, they're investing a lot in their advertising, and they had to make a sort of an accelerated severance payment to a former executive. Okay, taking all that inside, you know, that tells me that hey, they're investing in the business. So the top line is really working. I mean, you said sixty nine percent increase in revenue. Their marketplace business was up eighty six percent. That's really one of the big drivers. Everything's going well here, and I would say, uh, you know, at a three billion dollar market cap, you know, they, with the way their business is going, I, I feel I feel like there's upside here. I'm not too worried about today and the results. So, is it fair to say that Trulia is their direct competitor? And if so, is this one of those situations where there can you know it's a Highlander situation? There can be only one. There's only gonna, <laughs> there's going to be only one winner here, or is this a situation where no, there, there can be? And we've seen that in plenty of other industries. So it's like, look, there's not going to be just one winner. There can be multiple winners here. Right. Well, it truly is. I would say their most direct competitor. Um, and, and I think the CEO was asked on the call, you know, whether or not he was seeing. A lot of overlap between a lot of the the agents brokers who use Zillow. He, did, he said they were he said that they weren't seeing a lot of overlap. But to get to the, to your point, I think there can be multiple winners. I mean, this is a this is a market land grab, and the market's not necessarily shrinking. Um, and I think there's room. I mean, if I'm a broker or an agent, you know, why wouldn't I want to be on both Zillow and Trulia and you know others? I mean, this is just a way for me to get out there, get leads, grow my business. I'll pay for both or multiple. You've seen Highlander, haven't you, Matt? I, I don't think I've you've no, oh, oh. you got to you got to rent Highlander. That is, <laughs> oh that's, man, I that failed is, big on that, that one. That is a movie that totally that's that's your that's your market fooling movie recommendation of the week. Sean Connery, was, Sean Connery, and yeah. uh, Christopher uh, Plummer. No, Chris, not Plummer. Not no, Christopher Lambert. Lam- Lam- yeah. 
Um, you can follow us on Twitter at MarketFoolery is our handle. Uh, we've got a tweet from uh, – I'm sorry, Kareem. I'm just going to butcher your name. Kareem Yergaliyev. Uh, he writes, greetings from Almaty, Kazakhstan. I really enjoyed Monday's half-hour episode. You guys should do a long show once a week. So here's the thing about that. Um, <laughs> we have a clock here in the studio so I can even, uh, keep an eye on how long the podcast is running. And we weren't running the clock that day. And Cop and Heifer, you may relate to this. or You will at least understand this. Are you, are you about no, to say I'm long-winded? No, no, no. What I was going to say is <laughs> when, time we have Matt on. When, when I go running, when I go out running – I unless I have a, a watch on my wrist, I have no sense of what speed I am running at. I am I am not able to gauge myself, and my sense is that experienced runners. I know that Seth Jason is like this. My guess is you are like this. That if you set out, you can say to yourself, "Oh, I'm going to run at a seven minute per mile pace." You know that sort of thing. All of which to say, I'm just bad at timing. So I at, at no point Monday did I think, "Boy, we're really running long." And then. After the episode was over, I was like, holy cow, we went a half hour on that thing. So uh, so I appreciate the note, uh, Kareem. And please spread the word in Kazakhstan about market foolery. Uh, final story. Again, this is either a great day or a bad day uh, for Bank of America attorneys. Uh, federal <laughs> prosecutors uh, have announced a civil lawsuit against B of A for allegedly failing to disclose risks and misleading investors uh, in an $850 million mortgage bond deal offered in 2008. Uh, But wait, there's more. I feel like a Ronco commercial. But wait, there's still more. Uh, The SEC uh, has also filed suit alleging more than 70% of the mortgages uh, in the B of A offering originated with brokers unaffiliated with the giant bank. Those mortgages had, quote, vastly greater risks and severe delinquencies, early defaults, underwriting defects, and prepayment, the SEC said. Matt Koppenheffer for the defense. <laughs> First of all, I will say that this is a great day for, for, for the attorneys. It's always a great day for the attorneys for Bank of America. I feel like they all have wings on their houses that are named the Bank of America wing. Anyway, uh, you know, this is, this is all kind of here's – a, here's a quote that I, that I found. Uh, this is in the Wall Street Journal, but it's from Eric Holder. And he said, this is the latest step forward in the Justice Department's ongoing efforts to hold accountable those who engage in fraudulent or irresponsible conduct, which sounds great, right? It sounds really good. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say that the Justice Department shouldn't be going after Bank of America if they misled investors on these mortgage bonds. However, when you look at it, who are they taking to task right now? So you've got a, a different CEO in at Bank of America. You've had a lot of employee turnover at Bank of America. You've probably had a lot of investor turnover. So when I think about it, it's... It, you know, it's 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 a system. It's a system kind of thing, a legal system kind of thing, where I'm wondering who's really getting punished here for who actually did anything wrong. Right. So then, you know, I think about well, Ken Lewis was running Bank of America, and and one thing I should point out about this, which is kind of interesting and different from a lot of the Bank of America lawsuits, this is actually homegrown. This was a homegrown Bank of America. Uh, mortgage-backed security. Most of their problems have come from Countrywide. Right. This was from Bank of America. So that's that's something to to note. But Ken Lewis running Bank of America back then, Angelo Mazzillo running Countrywide back then, those guys are where today? Enjoying their millions, I right. assume. And, and so, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I, 
for the defense, sure. You know, I'll, I'll take that spot and I'll say that, you know, Bank of America today, I think investors, what they need to be looking at is where's the bank today? Where is it trying to go uh, five years as opposed to looking back and saying, oh, my gosh, they really did do a whole lot of bad things in 2007. And let's let's be realistic. I mean, what what's probably going to come out of this? Bank of America is going to pay a big fine probably. And how much could it be? I mean, even if it was one of the biggest fines ever levied by the SEC, let's say it's a billion dollars. This Bank of America made $4 billion in net profit last quarter. I mean, they are, I mean, this is a very, very profitable bank right now. Uh, and it probably will be for the foreseeable future. And I just feel like, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is, this is not great for, you know, it's headline risk. It's not great for publicity, great for lawyers. So there's going to be expenses. But Ultimately, the, the company's making a ton of money, and they're going to be able to pay whatever comes their way. Well, and it's it's a you know it's good for the Justice Department if if they're able to to win this one. They put another right. scalp on their belt and say, "Look, see, we did stuff about the the foreclosure crisis. We we're good. We yeah. we know what we're doing." I may be, I'm probably leaving money on the table. We talked about this uh, earlier today, Matt, when we were talking about LinkedIn, and you and I have both. Oh, man. Uh, I think we both recognized early on, and by that I mean a couple of years ago. Hey, this is a this is a, a company that's going places, and neither one of us pulled the trigger on the stock. So, in in that same vein, maybe not to the same degree, I'm, I may be leaving some money on the table by not buying shares of Bank of America. But, uh, cop, you you unintentionally hit upon one of the main reasons I don't when you use the phrase. Here's why this is different from most of the Bank of America lawsuits. <laughs> It's like, no, 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 no. Don't focus on all those lawsuits over there. Focus on this one over here. Right. Matt Koppenheffer, Matt Argusinger. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. And Henry helping us out behind the glass today. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) 